Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on the, 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 the Sunday night, September 3rd. Give me a break. It's a holiday weekend, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the last uh, major holiday of the summer, Labor Day. And we're going to have a fun show today. We're not taking the day off. So first, shout out to us and also to my man, Gabe, who kind of does the back end for all of us on the podcast here at USA Today Sports. He'll obviously be uh, helping with this as well, so he's not taking the day off either. Anyhow, on today's show, we will be discussing UFC Paris, give you all the results there, our feelings on all the uh, storylines, stuff like that, that came out of the show, as well as the results themselves, of course, the bonuses, who moves on to what. We have a big fight week this week, UFC 293 in Sydney, Australia. After four years, they're back in Aussie land. With a awesome main event. Not even the first choice main event for so many. Because it could have been Drikas Duplessis against Sean Strickland. But, sorry, uh, Israel Adesanya. What am I saying? Instead, it's Sean Strickland against Israel Adesanya. But, goes. I did see the uh, countdown. I'm fired up, man. I'm into it. We'll also talk about the uh, co-main event. Taito Iwasa, uh, Alexander Volkov. And don't forget, goes and I will be hosting a watch-along this Saturday. We'll be doing it from our house. Instead of the Sticky Paws Studios, but either way, we'll deliver just like we always do. We'll have a fun time along with some uh, some bets. So hopefully we cash some money, enjoy some good fights, and have a good time. All right, folks, we'll be right back to start the show. All right, so let's get into it. The UFC was in Paris this past weekend. First, let me just start off by saying, what a crowd. Uh, you know, on the heels of Singapore actually being a great crowd, you know, appreciating every single move, every single type of technical move that was being made by the fighters last week. And then, of course, serenading the Korean zombie as he retired after his main event match versus Max Holloway that didn't go his way. I was just thinking, wow, man, like us, our, our crowds in the United States, you know, I, I think we have to catch up in that regard. And then Paris really, really brought it as well, almost to the same level, maybe even some might even say better. Our Nolan King was saying it might be the crowd of the year, but uh, they were loud. And I think they also had a fond appreciation for all the French fighters that did well. I think Singapore was also loud but they uh they were watching the finer details of every match what did you think of the crowd let's start there goes and then we'll get into the fights i thought it was one of the best ones i've ever seen i thought paris really really brought it but another way that they brought it that kind of surprised me was their knowledge of the game you know even the smallest of moves uh and technique the crowd was aware of what was going on there were some jokes from from people, you know, that 
MMA is just not as big in, in France. And, you know, this is still a new thing. It didn't feel like that over there, man. They knew everything. They were on top of it. And they were there from the first fight all the way to the end. And um, I got to tip my cap to those guys. That, that was a really, really good, good crowd to the point where whenever you, if you ever plan to go overseas for an event, for me, it was always kind of like Australia, somewhere where I'd want to do it. Even when they go to England, they have some pretty good crowds. But I'll tell you what, man, it'd be fun to be part of that France, that French crowd. Yeah, no doubt. There are some really, really cool cities that I'd love to go to. And when you pair it up with mixed martial arts and event, that's pretty awesome. And Paris, well, no, the country of France is actually late to the game. That's not to say we haven't had French athletes uh, in mixed martial arts. What I mean is them basically legalizing, sanctioning mixed martial arts. So Bellator and the, the UFC have only been there a couple times each, and it's only been within the last five years. So... I think it's going to take off. I think it's going to do well. I'm basing it more on, I watch the Olympics. I watch soccer. And obviously in combat sports, there are great judokas from France. There's just great athletes, honestly. Whether it's the Winter Olympics, Summer Olympics, France produces great athletes. So I think it's going to be just a matter of time, the same way we said it about Mexico, the UK, South Korea, and uh, hey, I'll give a shout out to Peru. Peru's starting to really deliver some some pretty good MMA athletes as well. But I think that France is gonna start really, really kind of becoming a little bit of a factory. Not not to play off of the MMA factory in Paris, France. Obviously, surreal gone. Francis and Ganu, uh, what it was there. But I just think they're going to start producing a lot of athletes. Yeah, it could be. It could be one of. Uh, I mean, it didn't. It didn't take other countries that long to blow up. I mean, look at for the longest time, right? I mean, you know, we, you mentioned Brazil, you mentioned Japan, even the Netherlands had a, a few of their uh, fighters. But like, look at some of the countries that just popped up out of nowhere. Like China, just bam, showed up. We're China. Here's our fighters. Ireland, right? Ireland's got a a good footprint now. So you never know. I mean, it could, it could just blow up like that. Yeah. Australia, New Zealand, everyone's chipping in. I am still waiting for the return of Canada. I'm still waiting for the, not the arrival of Germany. Cause that would be insulting to the few fighters that we have from Germany. But you know what I mean is kind of like with a high level you have to have a high level mm. first like canada can say well, hey we sent you gsp calm down all right cool we'll accept that but i think germany still needs to send us that's a big country the netherlands huge and in, in the world of kickboxing and to be fair boss rudin jermaine de randami champions alistair overing champions all held major belts so i, I want to see another wave out of the netherlands but, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think Russia, Australia, these are bigger countries. Brazil, Canada, the United States, they definitely always have to be at the at the forefront. 
Mexico's and in Africa's obviously they've chimed in. They've had some champions. Mexico's a huge country. This thing could really, really start to blow up. Now, again, I don't want anyone to go, hey, is this guy headed down the road of backing up Dana White's claims of mixed martial arts being the biggest sport ever? No. No, I'm not saying they, what Dana could be right about is mixed martial arts being practiced in a lot of places. Yes, that's true. But, yeah, soccer is. King. How can I compare soccer to, to MMA? Soccer is a beach of sand. And I think MMA is, I'm not going to say one little granule of sand. That would be ridiculous. But, you know, when someone goes and puts their 10 by 10 pole, uh, tent and their towels and they set up their camp, that's what MMA is on a beach. You know, mm-hmm. like a beach of, we'll, we'll say, like 10 blocks or something. Hey, that's Newport Beach. You know, and see that guy with the tent? That's MMA. The rest of it is soccer. It's got a ways to go. We won't see anything. Uh-huh. If it happened, it wouldn't happen in our lifetime. Soccer is like HBO, and MMA is like uh, TNT. A show on HBO. <laughs> They're TNT. Where like every once in a while, you're like, ooh, okay. March Madness is on TNT, something like that. You got a few shows, but come on, like nonstop. It's uh, there, there's, it's just so massive over there. Yeah, and look, I'll even take the L on what I'm about to say. I just watched Manchester United lose to Arsenal, but that stadium was rocking. It was packed, and that's just one stadium of about probably 60, 70,000 amongst many stadiums just in that country, and other stadiums in other countries are doing the same thing. This was just an event in Paris, France, in a sold-out arena. So Now, were there other events around the world? Sure, but it wasn't Bellator PFL or one championship, and there might have been 8,000 in an arena somewhere, but... It's just not at that level yet, folks. So, look, let's celebrate what happened uh, on Saturday. We can't deny that Paris, France was a great show. Cyril Gan defeated Sergei Spivak via TKO punches in the second round of their fight. You know, not the bag on Spivak. Obviously, he's had a successful run before running into this guy. He, uh, he just kind of didn't show up. Now, I don't know if that's just a credit to Gan for putting it on him. But Spivak, who had won six of his last seven, three in a row, including Derek Lewis, Augusto Sakai, Greg Hardy, Alexi Olenek. Those aren't tomato cans, you know? Mm-hmm. Only one loss to Tom Aspinall, who's a stud, was sprinkled in there. But he deserved it to be there. But you look at the final stat count, goes. It was really, really one-sided, man. We, what did I just want to say, what did you expect, Spivak? Like, he really wasn't doing much, man. He got outstruck 109 to 11. So I guess it was, at that pace, it was just a matter of time before he was going to get thumped. Yeah, the writing was on the wall, and that's that's the only maybe criticism I had of, of the card was it at the end it somewhat fell flat in, in that sense that you just felt like you had one guy that, uh, that didn't really – almost didn't seem like he belonged to be there. Although his, his stats say otherwise, right? But uh, he, he just wasn't showing you anything. It wasn't, things weren't getting better for him. And you could tell that Ghana just kind of gotten into a rhythm and, and knew it's just a matter of time, but I'm going to close this guy out. Mm-hmm. Spivak attempted some takedowns and just had no luck. And that's why I want to give credit to, to uh, Cyril Ghan. 
he had a really nice sprawl. He had better defensive footwork, defensive techniques to avoid the takedown. And so I'm sure that also led to the frustrations on the speedbox side where just nothing was going. But you got to gain your respect when you're getting outstruck. You got to throw back because if you don't, it's just a matter of time and you're going to get hammered really hard as a heavyweight. Spivak wasn't doing much of that. He was just taking, taking, taking. And, you know, I, I know Alistair Overeem has done that before or he'll kind of do this big cover-up shell. But he's moving back and forth, and then eventually he responds. But Spivak had no luck on the ground, no luck on the feet. He was just a sitting duck. And Gon said he was really, really nervous because of the last performance. He felt a lot of pressure. He knew he needed to do something. Plus, obviously, being a hometown guy, you know, he wanted to deliver, basically get back in that mix. Okay, after Jones and – because, look, conceivably goes, this can go many ways. If Miocic wins, he could win and retire. If Jones wins, he could win and retire. If Jones or Miocic wins, they could both retire. If the other one takes a beating, mm-hmm. I think more on the side of Miocic won and Jones lost, unless it was this monstrous fight, you know, that that could be it. I think um, – if Jones really thumped Miocic, I could see Miocic retiring off a loss. Oh, yeah. And Jones continuing. But regardless, we could lose those two. So those other guys that are running right now, including Spivak and Gon and Tuivasa and Volkov and Aspinall and Pavlovich, they need to distinguish themselves. So I thought Gon did a good job of showing us, hey, something I had trouble with in my last fight, I've improved. Isn't that weird how the, the heavyweight division is pretty fun right now? But it's also like just a few fights away from from completely uh, losing some top-level talent. You know, it's like the weirdest oh, sure. thing. But, but I wanted to ask you, did Spivak's performance almost hurt Gon? Because at the end of the fight, what I was trying to figure out was, okay, did Gon improve or did Spivak just kind of shit the bed? You know, I, could, I couldn't really – it was tough for me to distinguish whether or not improvements had been made. No, I thought Gon improved for sure. He looked like – of course, Jones is more formidable in taking down a heavyweight athlete just from the athletic sense, from the fact that he has the wrestling background and the wrestling for MMA background. But – so I'm not going to say, oh, he stopped Spivak. Therefore, if he gets back in there with Jones, look out Jones. No, I'm not saying that. But I did see improvements uh, in in Gon in terms of from when they were standing and he could sense uh, you know, the other guy wanting to take the fight down, his positioning, his hand positioning, his footwork, his alertness, his awareness. But actually when he did get taken down, the the way he was able to sprawl, and then not just disengage right away, but almost sprawl and see, is there an option for me to take the guys back or not disengage? Like, he kind of went through certain steps. You could tell, like, that's something he's been drilling and seeing if there's an opportunity or not. Because to a Derek Lewis, you might want to do that to a Derek Lewis because Derek Lewis doesn't have, you know, a, a wrestling background where he can maybe hit some sort of a switch or something like that on you or anything like that. And you could possibly take it, take his back, and maybe go for a submission. You, you kind of don't want to be slinging dogs with that guy all day. 
But with a John Jones, you might want to say, hey, I just got out of this takedown attempt. My best bet is to disengage and let's kickbox. And and obviously Jones is a formidable kickboxer too, but Gon's just a bigger, bigger fella. Right. But yeah, I, I would say improved. Okay. Yeah, that was uh it was tough for me to to figure out at the end because I didn't know if, if you're Stipe Miocic, if you're watching that, are you thinking, man, I would have been out of there in a round. You know, is does John Jones thinking that as well? That's what I couldn't figure out. Well, I couldn't blame John Jones for thinking that, but because he because he just went through it. It wasn't that long ago either, but no, I, I could see uh, I could see Jones thinking that. I think Miocic is just kind of already out of the game, and I just see one last check being cashed. And if he can beat Jones, awesome. But I really think Miocic is just done either way. At, He's an older guy. He's been wrestling for a long time. He's already a full-time fight firefighter again. He was never really, really like head over heels into it, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been gone for so long too. Let me put it to you this way: Was that fight the type of performance that makes you forget about what happened to John Jones the first fight and make you want to see that fight again, Surreal Gone and John Jones? Not yet. I need to see one more. Right. And see, the problem is, I feel like if it were just a little bit more competitive, you could start to get me to get over that hump a little bit. Because that was rough to see the first time around, right? John just kind of went in there and almost looked like he was just taking a very inexperienced fighter and took him to town. It Had this fight gone like a little bit longer, or maybe there was a little bit more back and forth where you felt like he was getting over some kind of adversity? Uh-huh. I would have started to get over that hump, but now I feel like he needs another one, and, and we need to see him kind of pushed a little bit before I even want to see that fight ever again. Well, the last two fights involving Gon, when the fight had anything to do with the ground, which is Nganu and Jones, he lost. And Nganu, he was fighting a guy with a compromised leg. Mm-hmm. So definitely, that's a hole he needs to continue addressing in his game. And yes, throwing. I mean, I guess if we had thrown Curtis Blades on him, maybe we'd have more answers. Although he can be pretty stubborn himself and not even wrestle and just throw hands and you know. But his last few wins have been Spivak, Tuivasa, Lewis, Volkov, Rosenstruck. None of those guys, even Dos Santos, when he was still in the UFC, none of those guys want to wrestle. You know what I mean? So yeah, when Gone has been tested on the ground, hasn't looked good. He needs to show us that that that's the case now who's left jones and miocic again we know you know those guys mostly like to throw hands but they can both wrestle it's in their back pocket you have Derek lewis who he's already faced tuivasa who's fighting this weekend against volkov he's faced both of them speaking about gone and Aspinall and pavlovich he hasn't faced but I think both guys, yet again, actually like to throw hands. So right now it's a little bit more stand-up heavy, the heavyweight division, except for the two guys at the top who fight at the end of the year and who could be leaving the sport soon. Yeah, it's true. All right. So aside from that, Manon Furon defeated Rose number Yunus. Unanimous decision, 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. All right. This is a weird fight for me. What I watched was, again... I felt like a kickboxing sparring match, but 
that's actually how they described Natan Schulte and Roush Manfio when they got penalized by the PFL and crucified online to the point of almost saying, hey, were you guys even fighting? You know, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is they went out there. They did hit each other pretty good with some pretty good punches, but it wasn't what I felt was that, especially for Fearon, that fight that puts you over and makes you want to see you in a title fight. Now, she is delivering the results. I'll give her that. It's a win at the end of the day. It's a win against a big name. It's not a win against a huge flyweight by any standards because Rose just went up. This was just her first fight at flyweight. And so I wasn't impressed enough to say, you know what? You just took Blanchfield's shot because Blanchfield, I thought, earned a shot last week. But I said, hold on. Hold, hold on to your horses just yet. If Grasso and Shashenko finish clean in the sense that we don't need to see a third fight between them, can the winner face Blanchfield? Yes. Can the winner f- face Hero? I'd say no. I think Blanchfield held serve because Hero didn't go for it. I thought she was obviously bigger and stronger than Rose, but something happened, I think, where Rose delivered, had some nice footwork and delivered a punch or two that made Manon Fioron go, oh, even though she's a smaller gal in terms of, I mean, Rose is taller, but uh, she wasn't as thick and strong. And But she must have left some sort of an impression on Fioron where she knew, okay, I can't mess around either, but I'm just going to cruise the victory. Because let me tell you, again, goes, here are the stats on the strikes. 60, sorry, 58 for Fioron, 60 for Rose Namajunas. And when you break it down by round, Fioron was more, uh, her signature strikes were 58 or 225. So she threw more, but landed two less than Rose, who threw 150. So that's 75 less, but landed two more. It's just that I don't think, I think she had a couple that cracked, but, you know, not enough to sway the the judges, obviously. Um, But this was really a really weird fight. In fact, in two of the rounds, in rounds three and one, Rose threw more strikes. But yes, she got the the other end of 3027 whatever whatever it was that i said what was it 13027 and 22928s i thought it was a little bizarre and then i look at mma decision it was fearout all day and that's fine i accept that and i'm not in any way crying wolf i'm not even saying rose had a case for a split or anything like that what i'm saying is fearout did not impress enough to get the title shot I don't think so either. And she has kind of a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, she's a nice gal, but she's not very edgy. She doesn't speak English. Um, I, I think she had a little bit of an uphill battle anyway. I will give her a pass in the sense that Rose is just kind of a tricky fighter, a tricky puzzle to solve for a lot of fighters, you know? Uh, look at... Uh, Look at what Joanna Yandrechek had to had to deal with, right? Like what Zhang Weili had to deal with. Like nobody really figures her out that easily. Like from time to time, yeah, but uh, she's just kind of tricky. So I'll give her a little bit of a pass, but not too much because you're right. I do feel like there were times where she could have put her foot on the gas. Mm-hmm. She, just, she held back a little bit, and that that's probably gonna hurt her now when you when you look at the title picture. It's it's odd, man. But I was like, as soon, before that fight even started, when I saw Rose Namajunas' physique, I had a good feeling she was in trouble. 
because she, I wanted her to pack on muscle, you know, like to be able to, to fend off some of these girls that they're going to be stronger. And she just didn't really seem to have that. It it just, I don't know. It it, kind of just seemed like, uh, not that they phoned it in, but um, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't pay attention well enough, but I I really felt like Rose Namajunas could have gone in there with a little bit more strength. And I think she would have done a little better because, you know, you look at that fight and you're going through the stats there, a couple, couple tweaks here and there, and she could have won that fight. Yeah, she broke her finger uh, in round one. I heard her say something like that to her coach, Pat Barry. And by the way, where was Trevor Whitman? I'd like to know what happened there. But yeah, it was for it was for the taking for Rose as well because Manon wasn't doing anything. I will give Rose this. She attempted takedowns, so she was trying to, in that sense, she was trying to find different ways of attacking and, and winning the fight. Now, I'll give credit to Manon Fierron for fighting those takedowns off. However, I won't go overboard because those aren't Blanchfield-type takedowns. And I agree with you because what she looked like to me was, you know how when she was a strawweight, she probably walked around at 130, cut down to 115, and then rehydrated again to 130 by fight night? Mm -hmm. Well... She just looked like that rehydrated walk around Rose. You're right. She didn't look much bigger. You know what I mean? It just looked like a Rose number unit that didn't have to cut the 115, and she's just kind of fighting at her natural weight. And that's good, not having to put your body through that torture or anything. And it's not like anyone can ever take away her straw weight history. In fact, she's probably headed toward the UFC Hall of Fame at some point, having beaten Zhang Weili and Joanna Yo- Jindrzejczyk twice each and split with uh, Jessica Andrade. Only really having those losses to Carla, you know, stand out. But yeah, I thought this fight was kind of, it could have put her on the map mm-hmm. as well. Because again, Blanchfield did was nice, but she wasn't overwhelming nice. She's just got impressive stats. And Fiorot was nice. She just wasn't overwhelming nice. And she has impressive stats. But I, uh, I know how the UFC likes to how, how they roll, and if Rose would have starched Fiero and Grasso beats Shevchenko, I think you we might have seen a title fight between Rose and Grasso. But I don't think Grasso's going to be Shevchenko, and I know Shevchenko and Rose are pretty close, but not. I don't think they're close. They're not like Marav and Sterling. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would fight each other, but maybe who knows. I've just heard certain comments that they've said about each other, and luckily they were in different training classes, uh, weight classes, so they never really got to that point, but they kind of held each other in high reverence. You, you're saying you don't think? I, I don't think they'll fight each other. You, you're agreeing, or you're saying you think they could? I don't think Rose and Valentina would want to fight each other, no. I don't think they would want, and I think, I think they, they would. Exist. Say that again? I think they would they would fight back a little bit, resist a little bit. Maybe not to the level of Aljo and Marab, but mm-hmm. something one notch below that. Did you see a, a picture floating around where Marab and Aljo are at a beach? Yeah. They're really close to each other, and then someone posted the picture <laughs> next to them of what's happening underwater, and they're holding hands. That was actually pretty damn funny. I, I If I know... Aljo, he's laughing at that one. He got got on that one. Yeah, I think, uh, dude, like, 
you got to have some kind of a sense of humor. And I have to admit, like as mad as, as you maybe get at things that people say, sometimes you just got to take the L and laugh. And that was just a good one. I, I thought that was, it was creative. Yeah, I did too. But congrats to Gone if you're all, especially Gone because you got the finish. The finish is so important, and the finish just does so much, man, to pull, take that crowd to another level. And I thought that's where if you're all, like I say, could have done herself some favors. Now, I, you know, everyone knows I say this a lot. W- women's MMA doesn't produce on the same level as many finishes as the men. I get that, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, Fiorot's pretty imposing, man. When you look at her, like, she's a specimen. You almost look at her and go, shit, she could be at Wimbledon or the U.S. Open, I guess, is going on right now. You know, if you look at those tennis players, they look like they're five, ten, six feet. I mean, rock-solid legs and arms, and that's what Fiorot looks like. She could do that, or she could be a, a rugby player. She looks very, very impressive in that regard. But her last four fights, and by the way, impressive fights, Myra Bueno Silva, uh, Jennifer Maya. Maya fought for the title. Bueno Silva was being talked about fighting for the title. Kaylin Chikagans fought for the title and also kind of just been the long-time gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. And Rose, all decisions. Like, that's still lacking, you know what I mean? Yeah. I will give her props. That headbutt, uh, granted, that, yeah. head, that seemed pretty nasty. It wasn't in an area that was going to really affect the fight. But to, to make that open the way it did probably took a lot of force. I, I mean, to me, it's the equivalent of taking, like, a very hard knee to the head or something, which probably rattled her pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she fought through it. And those are the types of experiences that you need along the way to becoming a champion and, and fighting through a little bit of adversity. I, I will give her that. But, uh, yeah, he just wanted a little bit more, man. I agree. Completely agree. All right. So here's how the rest of the card went down. Benoit Saint-Denis defeated Thiago Moises, and they actually shared fight of the night as well. So mm-hmm. 50000 to each one of them. Volkan Ozdemir defeated Bogdan Guskov. William Gomes defeated Giannis Gamori. Uh, Morgan Charrier defeated Manolo Zacchini. Now, those first four fights, San Denis, Ozdemir, Gomez, and uh, Sharier, excuse me, they all produced finishes. So kudos to them. They were just making the crowd go berserk. I loved it. And uh, they deserve a shout out. On the prelims, Taylor Lapolis defeated Colin Logren. Logren got his first loss in MMA. Uh, Ange Lusa defeated Reese McKee. Nora Cornell defeated jo- Jocelyn Edwards. I I was amazed at those scores too. Uh, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28. I was like, huh? Like, that's pretty damn crazy. I thought Edwards for sure at least won one round. But I they didn't even get around. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. I thought she won the fight. So when I saw 30-27 the other way, I was like, whoa. what? And, you know, that's something that you got to look at too. Like, the rest of the people on the card, you know, that are coming after that fight, you got to be like, whoa, that you got to make sure you know which three judges were on that call and, and really, really go for a finish because that's some scary shit, man. I, I thought, I thought she won. I thought it was kind of obvious she won. I'm not saying it was a blowout, 
but I just felt like it was clear. And then uh, to see it go 30-27 the other way, you never know, dude. Like, I know people say uh, a fight's a fight, but there is a little bit of home field advantage in the sense that when the crowd goes nuts, and if you're a judge and it's a strike that maybe you didn't see, but you hear the crowd go nuts, you might think it landed when it didn't. You know, there's little things like that that do work in their favor. Yeah, well, round two for sure I thought she won. And they were pretty even in, in the strikes department. Rounds one and three, she lost in the strikes department, and there was a bigger disparity in round three than round one. Um, but round one, the, but the difference here in this fight was that she got some takedowns, uh, did Edwards. And I don't know. I um, guess they didn't amount to much. Was but what's that? Yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah, I guess they were kind of well i don't know they're being critiqued a little bit too but the, the they were getting they were getting the job done you know what i mean and um i don't know i was trying not to homer because she's been at extreme couture for a while now but i thought it should have been at least 29 28 either way mma decisions how it was pretty split 29 28 for uh edwards 29 28 for carnal but i didn't see any 30 27s on either side but I thought for sure Edwards round round one round one sorry two and I thought one round was close because of the takedowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here we are. Um, when you go to another part of the world and you don't have that consistent rotation of judges that seem to be scoring fights like the way we have become a, accustomed to, anything can happen. Here are the names: Ben Cartledge. Clemens Warner and Damian Gluski. I've heard Cartilage for years, and I've heard Clemens Warner as well. Gluski, no idea. All right. Diamato was there. Uh, I know I heard his name. I know he judged, I think, the main event. And Lethaby was there. But that are that one was were the only names that I heard. Well, Cologne. Cologne was there. Hmm. I don't know, man. Eric Cologne, he's he's judged some big fights too. Yeah. But in every single fight, you had a sprinkling of, you know, either someone that's part of the international circuit or maybe tied to France directly. Who knows? Um, it was just a little bizarre to me. Like I say, I I, I for sure did not see thirty twenty seven for um, Cornell, but. What are you going to do? At the same time, I, I don't think this is any time of like a, an outcry type of a fight. Mm-hmm. It was just one like a raised eyebrow. For someone who has Bell's palsy and can't raise his eyebrows, that should tell you what I felt about the fight. Um, the performance of the Knights went to Gon and Scherer, Morgan Scherer. So congrats to them. They get 50000 each along with Benoit, Saint-Denis, and Thiago Moises. The attendance was 15610 and the gate was $4 million. So it looks like, by all accounts, this was a success for the UFC out there in Paris for the second time. Yeah, I think they were pretty stoked with, with uh, everything that happened. There were you know, a couple calls here and there that, that didn't uh, weren't really good. You know, the low blow that wasn't a low blow or maybe was a low blow, that was a little odd, a couple weird scores here and there. But I think the crowd and some of the fights – made up for it. Mm-hmm. 
Only two French fighters lost, but in one of them, a French fighter was fighting another French fighter. So mm -hmm. someone had to take an L there. But Zara Farron is the only other French fighter that lost who was facing another somebody from another country. But Cornol won, Lapalus won, Cherrier won, uh, Saint Denis won, Fierol won, and Cyril Gon won. So the French fighters. They came strong and they represented in that regard. Yeah. I would say, I guess, my, I stated my feelings. I think Blanchfield will probably get the winner of Grasso and Shevchenko. If Shevchenko wins, it will be 1 1, but if Shevchenko puts it on Grasso, I don't know that we're going to get a trilogy. And here's why. I know this sounds mean, but it's the truth, at least how I see it. So hopefully people can respect my opinion. But I just think Grasso goes, okay, she's pretty, so she's easy on the eyes. She throws really, really nice hands, but her personality is kind of dry, bro. Like, she wins, but she's very respectful. And I get it. To those of you that watch mixed martial arts, because you come from mixed, from martial arts, the traditions, the respect, the honor. Okay, I get it. I totally get it. But in this sport of entertainment where there just has to be something brewing at all times, it seems like that's lacking. Uh, and look, Valentina's actually pretty nice at the same time. She's really, really a respectful person as well. Comes from traditional martial arts. But she's put together this amazing resume that we've gotten past all that and said she's a gangster, you know, like she's mm -hmm. just a feature Hall of Famer and all that. God, Grosso hasn't put together that kind of resume. That's why I don't think none of us are clamoring for like, ooh, Shashenko wins, man. I can't see, wait to see the third one. No, I don't think it's like registering at the box office like that. In a way, Aljo, I think, also was, we are getting so much respect for him because of the house cleaning he was doing like nine in a row, three title defenses. But it seemed like he still wasn't creating those waves that he wanted to. He was a perfect heel if he wanted to embrace the heel, but he wasn't. He wanted to win over the crowd and be liked. And so that just wasn't going to happen in that division, not with O'Malley around. Um, so I, I think if Shashenko beats Grasso, because there's not that pop from Grasso, and Shashenko's pretty dry herself. I, I just think Shashenko just moves on to the next one. And I think down the road, they could do possibly a trilogy. But it'd have to be something perfect, like in Mexico, where the UFC definitely cashes in. That's the thing. That's the little wild card. You know, if you're going back there, then yeah, you can definitely sell that fight. It just, to me, has a little bit of a different feeling than, say, Juliana Pena and uh, Amanda Nunes, right? That one, to me, felt like, nah, we don't need to see this again. But the Alexa Grasso kind of hanging around in that first fight and then ending it with a submission, I don't know. I felt a little different. Like, she would have to get absolutely buzzsawed in the second fight. But if she put up a decent fight, I would, I would be interested in seeing a third one. Not right away, but maybe like one fight and then again or something like that, you know? I wouldn't say she was getting buzzsawed. And I know you didn't say that about her. 
You said she hung around, but I thought Valentina was clearly beating Grasso and distinguishing herself as a better fighter before she made that mistake. So therefore, if she gives a one-sided beatdown to Grasso, I think I'm good. I really don't have to live to see the third, but if they want to give it to us, fine. Again, if things are if Grasso works her way back and something big can go down in Mexico, of course, I think it'd be huge for the sport. But let's wait and see how this fight plays out. If this fight plays out. And it can get a little testy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on fight week. And, you know, maybe one of them starts to ooze a little bit of charisma. Then I might feel different. But I just think Aaron Blanchfield can easily start picking out her outfit, show up to Vegas, and enjoy the fights and get ready to walk into the octagon if she wants and just say she's next. I didn't see anything that that tells me otherwise from Manon Fioron. And, like, man, I know it was just a couple things, but Zhang Weili won me over so much with, for one, she was an absolute beast, right? And and her imposing stature that she has. But then she actually came off charming and embedded. What's up, Boston? You know what I mean? She learned a few token phrases. She just threw it out to the crowd, and the crowd soaked it up. And that's all I'm saying is learn a few things, connect with the crowd, and see if you can win them over and, and they can soak it up. And some of these athletes just don't do that. Yeah, I agree with that. Some some of them. Uh, there's some that, I mean, you're right. It's just it's such a small little effort that it's not a whole lot that Zhang Weili put forth, but the effort goes a long way. And, and, uh, yeah, maybe just a little bit more could be done by certain fighters. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's kind of the, basically, that's the card in Paris. Uh, you I know, do I, want I, to I, say, go ahead. I just want to say one thing only because I'm remembering now and I don't want to forget. This episode, not entirely sure what time it'll drop, but if it were to drop somewhat soon, just know that for Labor Day, there will be no spinning back click. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, we decided not to do it because our team is pretty spread out. We had two of our team members in Paris, France, Farah Hanoun and Abby Subhan. Congrats to Abby, by the way, who proposed mm-hmm. to his fiance Charlotte uh, in front of the Eiffel Tower. And she said yes. So our team is pretty spread thin between, for example, Abby would normally pick up the producing duties for spinning back click because Ken, cold coffee, is working the weigh-ins for the next few weeks over at Dana White Contender Series. And Fada would be a possible panelist. Now throw in that with the fact that our boss has to give most of the group uh, three days off this week because of Labor Day. You got that kind of travel. You got Mike Vaughn already headed to Sydney, Australia. It's just really, 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 really a lot. So we kind of, man, I'm telling you, we love doing spinning back like we didn't want to do that to you guys. I think if a, if a pay-per-view had just happened on Saturday, I think we probably would be there on Monday one way or another. But that's just the way it works. So no spinning back like this, this week. Um, 
But we'll be back the following week, obviously, to recap the Australia card. So, yeah, Goes is correct. But we will have two MMA Junkie Radio shows, this one and the one on Thursday. So let's continue here with Paris kind of, you know, I think we're done a little bit talking about that. And obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about the Australia card on Thursday show. Which, look, I'm going to be honest, man. It's not the deepest card I've ever seen. Adesanya Strickland to Iwasa Volkov. I'm pumped up about that. I was pumped about Cop and Kaikara France. But then after that, there was a pretty big drop-off. Although I really like watching Alberg fight, uh, Malarkey fight, and he's fighting McDessey. Hack Parast is cool. But, yeah, like, mm, you know, like... Uh, why not put why not get the best of the Paris card and the Sydney card and have one great card? You know, that's why I say is so many fight nights, man. If they could sprinkle some of that talent on some of these pay-per-views, the pay-per-views could be even sicker. But that Paris card goes is not that far away from the one we're paying for for 80 bucks. I think it's uh what it comes down to is we're all MMA junkies. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna pay anyway. You know, they know that. So I think that's why they do that. But you're right. The you know, I will give it this, though, and I think you might have said this at the beginning. Just watching the uh, countdown show mm-hmm. really got me going. You know, it's like uh, I feel like I'm in that relay race, and that first baton was passed, and it mm-hmm. was passed perfectly. The timing's good, and we feel like the next runner's already got a head start, and I can't wait for the embedded to start. And, and towards the end, we're going to see if uh, if that last baton is, is handoff handed off all right and and we'll be fired up i mean i have a feeling we will be but you never know there's so much more new sports going oh, on oh yeah oh yeah let me tell you something man now that football's underway my modern day monarchs are three and oh usc trojans are two and oh the 49ers go on sunday manchester united i think has two wins and two losses or wait they have two wins and yeah, I think they do have two losses. I was gonna say I thought a, a loss and a tie. I can look it up, but still, I'm excited about the new prospects there. We came close today, man. When Garnacho scored, I thought we got him. I thought we clipped him there at, in London. I was like, holy cow! And when they showed the first angle, I didn't think it was offside. When they showed the second one, obviously he did look offside, but I still wasn't convinced. Like. The other guy's doing this little tiffy-toe holding back, but he still looked like he was further ahead than Garnacho, who had maybe one foot in his hand. Like, that just... I, the offside rule, if you're... if you're, You know it's, you know how the offside rule was almost contested? It would almost look like, oh, well, Garnacho's got a bigger nose. He was just further out ahead by that millimeter or two, you know, or a bigger foot. He's a size 12 and the other guy's a size 10. Come on, man. Like, I think it needs to be... A little bit more, how can I put it? Not a body length or something like that, but I think if the referee didn't see it with the naked eye or the, you know, any any of the guys on the, on the sidelines, then that's not that conclusivity. The angle doesn't prove nothing to me that they that they showed. It kind of pissed me off to tell you the truth. I mean, I here's what I did. I just put myself in their shoes. If the shoe were on the other foot, I'd say, yep, that's offside. I, I, I would have been like that, too. Um, mm-hmm. It was razor thin. It really was. But 
that's just the rule. But even when they drew the line, it looked kind of weird. Like it, it didn't like when they draw the line, you almost want to go, oh, like almost like. And then and I'll give the credit to the NFL for this. You know when they show the replay and the ball does go over the line, you know, and then the goal line, like mm-hmm. the nose makes it over. Everybody goes, ah, oh, okay. I'm gonna go grab a beer. Let me know when kickoff's happening. Like you, you just have like this acceptance of it. But when they show you that line in EPL, the VAR, only because it says offside or onside, you just kind of accept it. But you, your eyes don't tell you. Oh yeah, fuck. Crowd's got a point, you know, or the 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 the, the technical director, sorry, the manager has a point. Like nothing that doesn't tell you nothing. It confuses you even more. Yeah. Let's clean up on some news here, and then we'll get on out. And a quick reminder, on Saturday, Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along on MMA Junkie, 8 Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, will be the first fight of the night. Well, not over there. What it'll be is the first night that we, sorry, the first fight that we talk about. We're going to give you four prelims and five on the main card for this Saturday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That's when it. That's when the prelims get down, and of course, the pay-per-view time is always the same. It is 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Although I say that knowing that the one after UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi, I do believe that one will be a uh, an earlier start time because I think they be. they don't they don't change for them and they'll give them the a normal start time. They're they're not gonna make all the sheiks and <laughs> they all of them wake up early. Um, I think they adjust for time over there. Okay, so um. Paul Felder re-enters the USADA testing pool. He says he's entertaining a UFC comeback. He was really moved by what he saw from the Korean zombie. Kind of like he felt like he didn't have that, I guess. Um, Here's a quote from him. He says, I have no idea. I rolled with Michael today. Honest to God, it blew up on social. I'm back training. I'm enjoying MMA again. For all the people that think I need a complete both hip replacements, I have had bad hips. There's no there's no secret about that. I've had bad hips for years, but I'm back in the side of the testing pool. That's exactly where I'm at. That that is it. It's just in case I'm getting old. There might be some old dudes out there that might want to dust it up in six months. Other than that, I have no idea. I'm enjoying training, but I think a lot of this stems from goes. He was really moved because him and Bissing were on the call in Singapore, and I guess they just flew them back through Paris and and had them call those fights as well. But I think it all stems from that. Now, I did look him up. He's 39 years old. If Paul wants a nice payday, I know he's got a daughter. I'm sure these fighters think about paying off a mortgage or maybe securing a college fund. And if they can remember how to get home and everything is fine, their brains aren't scrambled, and the UFC's down, I eh, it's a business transaction, you know? But when you haven't done it for a while, don't expect the best Paul Felder, especially at age 39, out there. However, like Paul says, if another old dude wants to mix it up, I was throwing Matt Brown out there. I, I can never think of someone else, but <laughs> like a Matt Brown or uh, uh, Diego Sanchez, if they were to re-sign him or Jim Miller, what, I feel like there is something still for them because they're not like, they're not Geritol old. You know what I mean? They're not yeah. that old where you're like, come on. You looked awful the last time I saw you. No, nothing like that at all. I think they can still put on some sort of a show. And this is when you make your best money, unfortunately. So I I can understand it. And he's doing it the right way. He entered he entered the USADA pool. 
And if in six months something tickles his fancy, at least he doesn't have to say, oh, I got to enter the Asada pool. I think as long as he picks the right person, I think he's good for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the thing is, too, like he's so consistent on these calls that I'm sure he makes a decent paycheck there. I'm sure he made pretty decent money when he fought, especially you have to remember, like, there was a time where a lot of his his fights came uh, really short notice or Mm -hmm. somewhat short notice where I believe they probably made it worth his while. You know, he probably collected a bigger paycheck than normal. Uh, But there is something about maybe going out on your own terms, like just drawing that line and saying, this is going to be it. This is the last one. As long as it's the right person, I'm down. You know, he's always exciting to watch. And I think he can. I, I think he could still go out there and perform pretty, pretty well. Yeah, it was Dos Anjos. Two split decisions. Dos Anjos and Hooker is how he ended his career. The Dos Anjos one was the one where I think he subbed in late notice, and the Hooker fight was uh, down in New Zealand, and that was a fun fight to watch. Before that, he beat Barbosa by split decision, and he beat. James Vick, the Barbosa win meant a lot to him because he had lost to Barbosa early mm-hmm. in his career. So that was cool. I always thought this. If you never get to be a world champion, if you can look at your resume and say, mm, yeah, but I did that, yo. That should give you some sort of a satisfaction if you can't exit on a win. And this win specifically, before Charles Oliveira went on that tear, before losing his his fight to uh, Makachev last year. His last loss was to Paul Felder. And the reason I remember it vividly is because it was a fucking great fight. He had yeah. Paul Felder's back. I thought he was going to submit him. And it was in December in Detroit, and Paul Felder came back and won via TKO. And the reason it was huge is we watched it with the troops in Virginia, and... On that occasion, it was just three months after we had been to Virginia to uh, with Paul Felder. So a lot of the same people that met Paul Felder on that trip were still there and remembered that and got to see him. So I thought that was pretty cool. And um, and like I say, I mean, you beat a former champion, someone who possibly could go in the Hall of Fame. There should be some satisfaction to that, aside from all the other wins that he had and bonuses and stuff like that. But I get it. He lost, you know, he came, he went out on some losses and maybe he wants to get his hand raised or, or maybe he knows something we don't like. Maybe the OC's heading, heading to, to Philly in 2024. Who knows? Could be, but, uh, I, I have zero problems with him wanting to do this. You have zero problems with what I'm about to say. How about this? Ian Machado, Gary willing to prove he can out wrestle Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. This guy goes, is slowly becoming, um, unbearable to me (laughs) with some of the things that come out of his mouth one thing's to say i can hang they're not gonna wrestle fuck me or whatever but to say you're gonna out wrestle colby covington who basically out wrestles everyone all right and kamaru uzman who's one of the all-time greats in your division i think they actually trained together over at kill cliff like take it easy man you're saying that Neil Magny beats his kid just because he kind of threw out a comment that we all say, you know, or whatever. You, you blew that up, trying to ruin the guy's reputation. And now you're going to out-wrestle these two guys? 
I mean, what's next? You're more popular than Conor McGregor. You're you're a more popular Irishman than Conor McGregor. Is that next? Like, what's wrong? What's with this guy? I was actually watching some of their sparring. Uh, somebody put out. He does look impressive. He, yeah, he, you know, he's big, man. He moves well. He's huge, and and he's got a really high ceiling. But you got to be careful when you do shit like this because, you know, there'll be some people that are going to say, look, he's doing it obviously to get people like you and I talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. But when you do that a lot, you kind of start to believe it a little bit. And uh, that can be a very, very dangerous thing. So we'll see. You know, on the flip side, you see like uh, Dylan Dennis, right? And how crazy he's been with some of the things he's said and videos that he's put together. But mm-hmm. the amount of hits that he's gotten on it and probably the money he's made off of it is fucking life-changing. So who knows, man? Maybe these guys are just setting a, a completely different blueprint. But in the UFC, at some point, you do have to back it up. And that that's- well, Dennis is trolling. Dennis is trolling and, you know, and of course he's saying, I think I can box, I'll box this guy. And mm-hmm. I mean, the other guy has zero professional fights. He's just got the exhibition fights. I'm convinced Jake, sorry, Logan Paul's going to be the better boxer. Don't get me wrong. But to say I'm going to out-wrestle, then he picks those two guys. I mean, why not throw Askren in there as well? And Jordan Burroughs. Hey, Jordan Burroughs, if you want to come over or if you want to do a a one-off, you know, in in New York City, that you know, that wrestling meet they have in New York City outdoors, I'd like Mm -hmm. to take you on all of them. We might as well throw that one in too. You might as well say that – by the way, did you all know I got some wheels? Usain Bolt, if you want some, you can come get it too. I mean, like, like I, I'm all for guys throwing stuff out there and, and trolling a little bit and poking and, and playing the heel or playing this, but I'm not all for, like, uh, ridiculous lies like that. True. Especially on the heels of that fucking sequence that we went through with Boston where he just clowned, like, very, you know, you... I'm not the biggest Neil Magny fan, but damn, I respect the time he's put into the sport. You know, like he kind of took the fight on late notice. He's a name. Like he was, I'm hooking you up. You know, he should have told Ian Gary, like, why are you acting like this? Why are you like making, and and he kept going. He he said before the fight, right after the fight, in the post-fight press conference, I think even in any media he did after that, he just keeps going with it. It's like, yeah, enough already. Yeah, I mean, is, is he a clown? All right, um, Mazadal says he'll never return. He says he'll never say never on a UFC return, but he is open to BMF title fight versus Justin Gagey. I kind of had a lot of respect for Masvidal's exit, all right, because he was so honest and said, I'm not seeing the punches like I used to. I'm not taking them like I used to. I put in 20 years. I think my time's done. I'm out. Now, he obviously seems to be doing pretty well for himself. I think he had a mescal brand. I don't know how that's doing. I haven't heard much about it lately. He is a promoter now. He seems to have a good social media following. He always seems to be living a good life. Maybe stacks some paper as well from his fighting days. I don't know. Why he would throw that out there, I don't know. But to be fair, he was at one point a lightweight. So it's not like he's picking on a little guy. Um, but I just think we don't need to see. I mean, of, of course, I'd love to see it. If somehow Gagey was presented with, situa- with a situation like you ain't even close to a title, pal, just kind of hang back, then sure, let's run it, you know, I guess if they can figure it out. But uh, I don't know why he threw that out there. I, I really loved how content he was 
with just moving on from the sport saying I did what I did. Me too. I thought that was a, a nice feeling. That it was uh-huh. the right time. Uh, but this fight, honestly, it would be fun just because you know Justin has no interest in wrestling. They're just right. gonna see him and bang. And that is gonna be interesting. But for me, like if I'm if I'm Jorge Masvidal and I have any fight left in me, I think I try and collect one of them Jake Paul purses or something. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I think that's where you put your your time and effort. I would agree with that. All right, just real quick, um, just because people are saying crazy shit all weekend. Paige Van Zandt says she earned more money on OnlyFans in one day than her entire fighting career combined. So I'm talking about the UFC, and then I heard at Bare Knuckle, man, she made some good paychecks. How crazy is that? And, of course, she could be talking out of her ass as well. But then again, I don't know this OnlyFans world, how it works. Um, <laughs> what do you think of that? Uh it's crazy. I mean, I, I hear that they, they clean house. There's a reason why they do it, right? I think uh, it was uh, Jessica Andrade, didn't she say she like bought two houses or some shit like that? Um, I guess there's money to be made for them, and who knows how much that actually is, though. I mean, your entire UFC career, that's, that's pretty uh, – those are some pretty big checks, I think, that she probably cleared, especially towards the end. I would imagine she made from all her fights in the UFC a couple million, and then from bare knuckle maybe another million. But so she made in one day three million from OnlyFans. I mean, what is going on here? It goes. I can honestly tell you, I've never been on OnlyFans. Now, what I think I have is when you go to like the underground forum or Twitter, people have posted pictures of stuff that's, you know, some of the girls might be posting, and mm-hmm. it's not like, for example, like a um a hustler or anything like that it's just i guess as close as you can get to nudity but have you and if so is there nudity like what is going on on only fans yeah um i haven't but i know about it and there are some people like uh billy Quarantillo. he has an only fans but it has nothing to do with nudity or anything like that i think you can kind of venture off into whatever uh, whatever your passion is, you know, mm-hmm. I think, I think a lot of people do free ones too. Hmm. So not all of them charge, but I think we would have by now seen the nudity. If there was a page Van Zandt nudity, is there, is there nudity or oh, yeah, did yeah. They yeah. Did they cover it? Cause I just think somehow one way or another, someone would have said, did you see this? You know what I mean? Not that I'm asking people like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not throwing it out there. I'm not saying Russia, if you're listening, I'm not doing that. But no, yeah, no, there definitely is. Oh, well. So why does she just do Playboy? Isn't that easier? Is that still around? I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, I think it's still around, but I don't know. I, I guess the whole kick on OnlyFans is you get most of the money, right? Versus uh, just taking a little bit off of, uh, you know, whatever company, Playboy or whatever. Ferdinand Lopez, that's Francis Ngannou's old coach and Cyril Ngannou's current coach, he says Francis Ngannou just might actually shock the world against Tyson Fury. And there's been some footage that's been been released where he's looking good, hitting the pads, and may I remind people that when Ngannou first started in combat sports, he actually started in boxing with the hopes of being a boxer one day before discovering that 
it was probably a quicker route to fame with mixed martial arts. But um, this guy, not to pick on him again and say his name for the second time, he's no Ben Askren on the pads. He can actually pummel them pretty good. What do you think of this, man? As we get closer, is it worth throwing a little Scooby snack on them just for shits and giggles? Because they are heavyweights, and all you got to do is connect one time. Remember, McGregor did connect with Mayweather one time. Nice. That uppercut was very nice. What if it gone to through an uppercut on Fury? What would it do to him? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the dude's got power, right? Like, um, hell, it could even be a body shot. You know, just something really, really bad with bad intentions, of mm-hmm. course. But the thing is, I don't know that Tyson Fury lets it get to that. I, I think he understands the sport so much more than what a, than what a Francis Ngannou does. I think he wears him out. You know, I, I think he pumps a jab in his face. Honestly, if I am Francis Ngannou, I heavily rely on mind games, those types of tactics. I tell the guy all week, I'm going to kick you in the head. I'm going to kick you in the leg. And then I fake one in the cage, you know, just a little motion just to get him looking. And I throw a hurricane uppercut or something and just hope I can, because look, it's just night and day. Like you're not, you're not even talking about like boxer versus MMA guy. You're, you're literally talking about one of the greatest boxers in the heavyweight division history versus a guy that's doing boxing for, for uh, one of the first times here as a professional, like, no man, like, that's, that just doesn't equate. Do you remember when Pete, when Tyson got out of prison? His first fight was a guy, Peter McNeely. Uh-huh. McNeely was, I think, looked at as a tomato can. Obviously, if you're in that position, you've won way more fights than you lost. I wouldn't say he was that. But he just looked like that tune-up fight. I'll give McNeely this. At the press conference, he said some funny stuff. He was basically a lamb being served served a slaughter. But when he came out, he came out swinging, man. And he did go out on his shield. I think Ngannou should do something very, very similar with a lot of pressure. I still think there's a little bit more to that than to just getting pasted for 8, 10, 12 rounds, however many rounds this fight winds up being. Mm-hmm. Because the longer it goes, the longer you have to sweet science against somebody that's a master at the sweet science, the worse it's going to look. Now, granted, who wants to get knocked out? No one. But I think that type of a wild fight is an unpredictable fight, which is what the word Eric Nixick said is, I think, Ngannou's best shot. Maybe. I, I don't know. It's just you're really inviting getting knocked out, and knockouts are just you don't got very many of them, right? So you look at a guy like uh, Conor McGregor, sometimes these boxing guys will carry you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And maybe this dude can carry you for a while. You know, I don't know. That's a little bit tougher to do in the heavyweight division. So I don't know if that'll happen. But uh, uh, I wouldn't say be wild, but I would say be unpredictable and and, and not so traditional. Yeah, don't, don't try and box. You know, I agree. You know, every once in a while, I'll hear McGregor, I'll hear McGregor talk about that Floyd fight, and he'll talk about winning those first four rounds like he was really into it or really in it and you know floyd had to flip the script and if you ever heard jake paul talk about him talk about his fight with mayweather when him and jake paul sorry logan paul when jake paul and him were arguing he goes what have you done in boxing he goes oh i only went all eight rounds with the greatest boxer (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was like, uh, bro, yeah, like you kind of did because you didn't get knocked out. I get that part of it, but you know, that guy was playing with his food, man. Plus, you were so much bigger, and this guy is way past his prime. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, all right, folks, listen. I hope you enjoy this long weekend. And obviously, for some, end of summer, kids back in school, fall season starts. I get all that. But uh, it is a long weekend. I know this is the type of weekend where I used to either pull a Vegas trip or a nice barbecue with family and friends and go out there, do all that, have some good fun and make it home safe, you know, and restart your life with the normal routine till we get to the next set of holidays. Just on what I'm saying is just be very, very careful uh, out there. And uh, thank you for your support of the show and listening to us here on a Sunday night slash Monday morning. And we will talk to you, obviously, throughout the week. we got one more junkie show to deliver for you. And then the watch along on Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific here on MMA Junkie. Please share that with your friends. Share that with your friends who may have kids that like MMA. You know, maybe just give it a share on Facebook because you just never know who happens to be an MMA. I would have never guessed because that Charlize Theron is a hardcore MMA fan. You know what I mean? She doesn't miss a show. So you just kind of never know. Anyway, all right. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Go out and be a champion.